today. I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 7, please. Romans chapter 7 in your Bibles. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Romans, and uh, just before I read the text, let me tell you a bit of what we're going to get into today. We're going to cover the first six verses of Romans chapter 7, and this is going to conclude a section, a section that started in chapter 6, verse 1. We preached two messages from chapter 6, and it's the same theme, the same type of idea, um, but there is a new application that has introduced a wonderful blessing. And so if you've been here for the previous two messages, they're going to see some things that sound a bit familiar. This is so important that we understand how to get victory over sin that uh, Paul spends a good amount of time on it. So let me read the first six verses of Romans 7 and then we'll jump into it. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by a law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is still alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, She is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. It's been hot outside lately. It might bring back some memories of past summers for you. It did for me. I had a summer between my junior year and senior year in high school where I got a job that was uh, building a house. There was a very good and experienced contractor, and he had a great assistant along with him. And they asked me if I would work with them on building a small house over the summer. I don't have any experience building houses, Um, and so they hired me to do what is sometimes called the grunt work, if I can use that expression. Well, we think of somebody that's there and something needs to be moved or they need some digging done. That was what I was doing. And so I would get there and I knew my place. I learned a little bit, not enough to build my own house today, but it was a fruitful summer. I can remember when we got to one stage of the building process where I um, was excited for that day and it was when we were putting the shingles on the roof. When we went up to shingle the roof, uh, one of the contractors came to me and he said, okay, Jeremy, first of all, I had to carry all the shingles up because that was my job as the grunt worker. And then he said, okay, we're going to show you how to put shingles on a roof. So he put me on one side of the roof and he gave me a hammer and he gave me some nails and he gave me the shingles. And he says, this is what you're going to do. And he showed me how to slowly put in each shingle. 
I still have the hammer to this day. I, I brought it along with me so you could see it. I don't think I've got too many things that I've had for about 29 years, but I've got this hammer. It was given to me that summer and I've still got it, still works, and I haven't broken that steel hammer yet. He gave me this hammer and I went up on that roof and I started to put those shingles in. I think it was, you know, three nails across each shingle and make sure that line was straight going across. And as I was working and as I was seeing progress, I was pretty pleased with what I saw until I heard a noise coming from the other side of the roof. Because as I was sitting there and I was hammering away, putting these shingles in, the experienced guys were on the other side of the roof and they didn't have a hammer like this. You know what they had, don't you? They had a nail gun. I heard this sound that sounded like choo, 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 just like that. Well, I got to look at what they were doing and they were putting those nails in awfully fast, going so much faster. I thought to myself, well, I'm going to get a chance to learn how to use the nail gun, right? And one of the contractors said, you're going to learn how to use this before you get to learn how to use that. Once you're good at this, then you can use the nail gun. I never got to use the nail gun. They were keeping me busy. They'd probably send me for water. You know, get down that ladder and get us some more shingles. Get us some more supplies that we need. And I was stuck with this. And that was disappointing to me because I knew that what I was doing was going the right direction. But I also knew that it could have been so much better. The way that it should be was going on on the other side. And so I struggled with that a little bit. I think that there are some believers who are going the right direction in their walk with God, and yet they will see on the other side someone who seems to be going along so much faster for the Lord. They seem to not have as many problems or hang-ups. They seem to be growing really, really fast in their walk with the Lord. You might see a Christian that you say, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's what a Christian should look like. I know I've had those thoughts before. And the difference in maybe what those two Christians are is going to be a little bit of what we talk about today. What we're going to see in God's Word today is that we can have freedom from the slavery of sin and we can also have freedom from a legalistic lifestyle. And I want to suggest those are on opposite ends. Slavery to sin, indulgence in sin, and a legalistic lifestyle. And that freedom comes from the same source, the same energizing source, which is the Holy Spirit. I've been doing some uh, work in the back of my house recently. We've got some brush out there and some uh, trees that have grown up. They're not good trees. They're crummy trees. And it's a wetland area. The river rises and it gets wet down there. So I can't always work. But several weeks ago, I was back, I was back there putting in some time. And as I would cut down some brush and as I would cut down some small trees, I would drag them way to the back where nobody could see them. And I found myself, because it's a lowland by the river, I found myself having to make a very specific path. I had to make a path to go, and I found that if I went to the right side of that path, my shoe would become immersed in mud and water. And I found if I went too far to the left of that path, that I would get a stick in the eye, and that will ruin your day if you get a stick in the eye. 
And so for these dozens and dozens of trips that I made back and forth on this winding path, I had to make sure that I did not veer too, si- uh, too far one way or the other. As long as I stayed on that path, I was in good shape. I think we find something similar in your journey with Jesus Christ. In our journey, God has a path for our life. And we need to be careful not to get too far to one side where there can be a dangerous place, a dangerous ravine, or the other side where there's another danger. And for our purposes today, I'm using those, those ideas of legalism or else uh, indulgence in sin. God wants us to stay on that path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your what? Your path. God has a path for you and the Holy Spirit will help us to stay right in the right place of that. Now, I've mentioned these two ditches that we can fall into, one of legalism. When I say legalism, I'm talking about the attitude that God will love me more if I keep a certain list of do's and don'ts. That's just a a fair way of representing legalism. God's going to love me more if I do this. As we study God's Word, we find out you cannot do anything to make God love you more. I'm not telling you not to have do's and don'ts in your life. I mean, that's a wonderful thing that we can have. But you can't have any kind of rule system that's going to make God love you more. And on the other side, as far as indulgence, that's the idea that Paul has talked about here in, starting in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There's this grace that covers sin... I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, so can I just sin all I want? Since we're saved, we're free to live as we please, is this other ditch. Those are two things that we have to watch out for. Some of you might not be seeing that progress that's energized by the Holy Spirit that you want to see in your life. Maybe it's just going slow, or maybe you've fallen into a ditch. The good news is that God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us to have that energy that never goes away. All right, all that to take us to Romans chapter 7. Before I um, jump into our main points, let me give one more picture that's going to help us understand Romans 7 here and the new application. The first two points are really review that we've already seen starting in Romans 6, 1. And then the last one is a little bit newer. Let me give you a little bit of a picture of what that new one is going to look like. Because when Jesus Christ, the last five verses of the book of Luke, we find Jesus talking to his disciples and he gives them some instruction. And it's unique. Let me read it for you. He says, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples was, I've got a job for you to do. It's a big job. It's going to be an amazing job. They were going to go out and preach and start the church that we are in today. But before you can do that, I want you to go and wait for something. You have to wait for the power 
to come. And we know at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit would come. That power in the Holy Spirit was exactly what they needed to preach the gospel and start churches. And that same power that you got saved with by the Holy Spirit is the same way that you get victory over sin. That's what Paul is telling us here. And so if you're taking notes, these first two might sound familiar. Number one, living in obedience to God is a result of being free from bondage. We've already seen that in, Luke, in, in um, Romans 6. Free from bondage. He gives that same picture here though. And he changes the illustration. We had an illustration of slavery before, and now he changes it to an illustration of marriage instead. This is not a passage that is giving us in-depth teaching on marriage, so don't try to take too much of of that uh, for application. He's using marriage as a picture for us because God's plan for marriage, in His plan, we find in God's Word, there was only one thing that was supposed to separate that marriage relationship. It's what oftentimes a bride and a groom will say on their wedding day. They will say, till death do us part. And that's the picture. That's the illustration. When something dies, there can be a separation. And what I find interesting here is we find different things mentioned. We find the law mentioned. We find believers mentioned. And I think it's interesting that something dies and It's not the law. Isn't that kind of curious? When you think of this and our relationship to the law and something's going to die, we would think that the law would be dying, but that's not what we find here. Instead, we find it is the person that is turned to Jesus Christ that has died. The law is still around. And I want to give you some applications about the law, but it's just curious that it is you and I that are to die but some things that we know about the law. This will help you to, um, to how you approach the law and even how you uh, think of the law with studying your Bible. So let me give us a few applications about the law. Why the law of God is bondage without Jesus Christ. So if you know somebody that's not been born again, then you need to understand that they might be trying to live by the law. But that living by the law is actually a horrible thing apart from Christ. And here's a few reasons why. First of all, the law acts to reveal man's guilt. The law is there to show us how far away from God we have actually gotten. So if you've ever thought about that relationship with Adam and Eve and God in the garden, what the law does for us is it shows us how far we have been removed from that fellowship with God. When we see that law, it oftentimes reminds us of our own sin. Also, something we learn about the law is the law cannot be kept perfectly. It cannot be kept perfectly. It's not possible. Jesus Christ was the only one that ever walked on the earth that did this. And it's very possible that some of you struggle with this because on that side of legalism, you might make a list and you have to do this or else your whole world is undone. Some people will take that law and they will make a list and they will use that in a way that is going to set them up for discouragement. It's not bad to have do's and don'ts, but we need to make sure that we understand that God has saved us by grace. 
And so when we fall, that grace is there. And something else we learn about the law, and we see this in verse number 5 of Romans 7, is that the presence of the law actually, and this is a negative thing, the presence of the law actually stimulates our flesh to sin. Let's explore that just a little bit more. That the presence of the law stimulates something within us to actually sin more. Verse 5 says, Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Fruit for death. And that was aroused by the law. And so the law actually stimulates rebellion within you and I. I don't think this is something that's too hard to convince people of. There's an old expression that you can probably finish if I start it. Let's see if you can finish it if I start it. Rules are made to be broken. There you go. What kind of a saying is that? Rules are made to be broken. For you young people, don't listen to that. That's a horrible thing to say. And yet there's something within each of us that says, yeah, those rules, they're made to be broken. Just a little bit. Maybe you're mature enough that that's not you. For some people, they're driving down the road and they might see a speed limit sign. For some people, what the number on that speed limit sign actually represents is nobody is supposed to go under this number on the road. If they're going less than this number, they're in my way, slowing me down. You've got to be above that or else you're stopping my progress. And that's not what a speed limit is, of course. But so many people just push that a little bit more. I saw a sign this past week. It started with posted. I'm not sure why they say posted. Maybe some of you can help me out with that later on. Posted, keep out, is what it said. I would have never thought about going over there unless I saw that sign that said posted, keep out. Now I'm thinking, what are they trying to keep me from? There's something over there that they're trying to keep me away from. And they put up a sign, posted, keep out. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but perhaps some of you have had the experience when you've walked by a sign that said wet paint and you just very, just very gingerly, just take one little finger and let's just see if that paint is still wet. That sign did not say, would you please test this to see if it is still wet or tacky? That's not what it said. But it's possible that some of you, like me, confession is good for the soul, have reached out your finger to touch on that, to see if that paint is really wet. There is something that the law does to stir up, Romans 7, 5 says. It stirs up something within us to bear fruit. Did you see what it said? To bear fruit for death. There's the comparison, right? We're either producing fruit for life, fruit of the Holy Spirit, or fruit for death. And so those are some lessons that we can learn about the law. Number two, we'll go a little more quickly with this. Number two, living in obedience to God is a result of dying with Christ and being raised to new life. So living in obedience to God is a result of dying with Christ, being raised to new life. If you can remember our first um, lesson in this section from the first part of Romans 6, Um, We have been buried with him in the likeness of his death. We've been raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. There's the picture. And so this is the same idea. 
When you're obedient to Christ, it's going to mean dying with Christ, being raised to new life. The only thing that I'll point out about this in verse 4 there is we have a past tense that has future effects. So you can see the words, you also have died. That's past tense. But the way this is written is it's a past tense verb that is supposed to have future effects. So the past effect is by God the death of God's Son on a cross and He rose from the grave to conquer death and sin. The ongoing effect for you and I is in order that we may bear fruit not for death, but bear fruit for God, is what it says. And those fruits are very clearly explained to us in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is, you know what they are, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. There's that connection with the law. These are the fruits of the Spirit that God wants us to have part of our life. And then finally, and here's the only point of the three that is not review. Living in obedience to God is a result of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember that illustration of power with the nail gun? Choo, choo, choo. Those guys were flying over there as they were putting those shingles on on the other side of the roof. They had the power source they needed. I looked up and I said, that's the way it's supposed to be done. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit is going to help you to have victory over sin. To be moving along in your life like God wants you to. Verse 6, look at it there. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so the believer here has a new and wonderful advantage to defeating sin. Old covenant, Old Testament, New covenant, New Testament. When we think of that Old covenant, we need to understand that everything under that old covenant was being done. Here's the disadvantage. Everything under that old covenant was being done by instruction from the outside. The way they were being directed from the outside. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Honor your father and mother. Under the old covenant, everything that could be done was all from the outside. But under this new covenant, the things that we are supposed to do that moves us along our journey, staying in the middle of that path, they are being done not with direction coming from the outside, but direction coming from where? From the inside. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. Talked with a wonderful Christian yesterday. And he, he knows I'm a pastor. And he said, hey, i got a got a question for you. I was talking to a friend of mine and, and we were talking about when you kind of have this you know, leaning to do something, this urge to do something. And, and where's that coming from? Is that, is that God the Father or is that Jesus or is that the Holy Spirit? And then he answered the question. He said, you know, I kind of think it's the Holy Spirit that's directing us and pointing us in that direction. And I just said, I agree with you. I think you're right. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your body, figuratively, and there's a leading that comes from the inside. 
As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it flows out of us. And so just because the law is done away with, we do not find moral anarchy. Woohoo! No law! No. Instead, we find something better. A doing right because we are being led from within. Okay, what can we do with this passage? I'm going to give you three quick applications. Number one, invite the Holy Spirit daily to be your guide. Invite the Holy Spirit to be your guide daily. And that might be a prayer that is as simple as this. God, I want to be obedient to whatever you have for me today. That's a great daily prayer, by the way. God, I want to be obedient to whatever you have for me today. So invite the Holy Spirit to daily guide you. Number two, you need to establish life patterns that are going to help you participate with the Holy Spirit. You cannot do that first thing and ask the Holy Spirit, God, allow me to do whatever your Spirit would have me do today, and then be involved with a pattern that is sinful. Go down a road that you know takes you to a place that you don't want to be. So you need to establish patterns in your life that might mean doing away with some old patterns, some places you used to go, some things that you used to fill your mind with because you have experienced that they lead you to a place of sin, not a place of doing what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. So it might be putting away old patterns, developing new patterns. And honestly, this is a trust issue. Because what that means is you are trusting that with this new pattern that you think God wants you to do, you're trusting that will actually bring you more joy than that old pattern that you know might give a little bit of pleasure, the Bible says, for a season. You're trusting that if you do this, this good habit, that in the end you will actually be happier. You'll have a better pleasure. The Bible tells us we need to walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's the contrast. And then the last application for us is this. Keep getting up. And I preach this to myself first. We have to keep getting up. A just man falls seven times and rises yet again. Keep getting up. Now, I am not naive to think that everybody in here has that electric nail gun and choo, 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 choo. They're just having great success in their walk and their journey with God. Many are and praise God for that. But I also understand that there are some who have had a struggle with sin that has been hanging on for years. Keep getting up. If you get to the place where you don't get up, I want to let you know that self-pity will destroy you. It's a place that you will go, and it's a dangerous place. And so we find a life path. Stay in the middle. Watch out for this ditch over here, this ditch of indulgence and sin just because you're saved. Watch out for this ditch over here of legalism. Nobody wants to bury their shoe in mud. And nobody wants a stick in the eye. As a follower of Christ, you should not want legalism. 
You should not want indulgence in sin. Stay on that path. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died to set captives free. And that should be you. And that should be me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for being one that knows us better than we know ourselves. You know the struggles that each one of us face and you know uh, the solution for that whether it be establishing a new pattern in our life or whether it be putting something away, whether it be calling out to the Holy Spirit daily to guide us, we thank you that you know exactly what we need. And I would pray today, Heavenly Father, that you would allow us to very clearly be following the direction of the Holy Spirit. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I want to give you a chance to pray. We're going to have a song played on the piano, just nice and soft. And if you're here today and God is working in your heart about maybe putting something away or else adding a new new habit to your life, perhaps you want to pray about that. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You can do that even in the quietness of this moment. Christ died for your sins. And if you will just call on Him to be your Savior. He will forgive you and make you His son or His daughter. Take just a moment to pray if God's laid something on your heart today.